And those who come back, like I did back then, it was for lack of vitamin D and lack of horizon and roots that I wanted to start building. And I wanted to know where I'm gonna, where those roots are gonna grow. Where is my tree? And my tree is gonna grow and close to who? That's when I decided to come back because I really wanted to come back to Portugal, come back to my family and come back with all these things I knew, you know, all these things I've learned, all these things I discovered. Olá e bem-vindo. Welcome to The Simple Life, an insider's perspective into Portugal. We already know about Portugal's amazing weather, food and people. In this podcast, we go deeper and meet the real people who make this country so wonderful. Dylan, who has made his life in Portugal, shares an insider's perspective into what makes Portugal the unique, beautiful and amazing country that it is. Join him and his guests every week as they shed some light on the incredible people, culture, history and lifestyle that makes Portugal so appealing. A country where everyone feels like they belong. This podcast is sponsored by Portugal Realty. Welcome to The Simple Life. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Paula Delgado. Like many of our Portuguese guests, Paula is a fascinating person with a diverse and interesting background. She's an optimist, a mother and a creative, and her job can't just be described in a word or three. But Paula uses narrative as a tool to develop brands and people so that they can be easily engaged. We discuss, amongst other things, challenges, opportunities, space to create, curiosity, wonder, and why, after five years in London, Paula wanted to set down roots and raise her family right here in Portugal. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of Portugal The Simple Life, and I'm delighted to be joined by Paula Paula Delgado. Uh, Paula, thank you for being on the podcast. How are you? Thank you, Dylan. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. You are, um, without offending any of my previous guests, you are the guest. So far, you're the guest on the podcast with the coolest hair. Easily. Oh. <laughs> Your hair looks amazing. Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I reckon... Um, in a couple of weeks or possibly a month, I will have a different haircut, which again, it's part of my sort of like, I would say. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I can only, I can only go with one style and that's it. You know, I'm limited. I'm limited is what I can do with my hair. Um, Paula, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about you. Well, um, who am I? Well, I'm, I'm a mother of two beautiful beautiful girls, uh, one with eight uh, and the other one almost with six. And I am the daughter of two beautiful human beings that actually met each other and decided to create a family in a place and country that was possibly not used to um, mixed race couples. So my my mother uh, was a beautiful blonde woman with green eyes, and my father was 
gorgeous black tall man um, from Guinea-Bissau and wow. from the north of Portugal. And um, they were a very funny couple <laughs> because, well, apart from the, the, they had, she was, she was really short and he was really tall, okay. <laughs> apart from everything else. So um, I would say to go with the, the sort of a narrative of coffee, I'm sort of the coffee, cafe con light. <laughs> and um, apart from that, I'm someone that has the privilege of working with narrative as a tool to design and develop enticing brands for organization and people that do need stories and uh, that convey their ideas, their values, and what they're up to in the world and do need it to, I would say, to deliver them in a meaningful way to their multitude of stakeholders. So today uh, I go for many names, but my background is design. So I love to solve problems, complex ones, with uh, empathy and with a human touch. And uh, I use narrative as my main tool to deliver enticing brands. Um, I've done many things around this subject and um, why I feel so grateful for what I'm doing right now because it's quite difficult to, dis to put down my job description which means I'm doing something that is sort of related to what I love to do but I'm also doing something with people that actually believe that even if it doesn't have a name, it's worth investing in. So that's what I do for a living. Awesome. I like that description. Even though it doesn't have a name, people that believe that it's worth investing in. That's, that's really cool. Very, very <laughs> cool. Um, Paula, you, 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 I mean, you said that you've got this diverse background um, and you also mentioned previously you grew up, uh, your mom grew up in parts where, you know, there were some strange foods and stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, that some people would consider strange, maybe not everybody. Um, yeah. But what were your memories, your memories of growing up um, in Portugal? Um, okay. Looking back. So here's the thing why I'm, I feel really grateful for, for, the mother and the father I had. It's not only for their braveness of actually, you know, embracing something that was hard back in the days, about 50 years ago. Um, it was at, um, uh, in, at Prec when the revolution and everything happened in Portugal. So it was about free love and freedom and all the possibilities we could do and what we could do back then. But it also was about something really, really sad that happened. So my, my father uh, lost uh, like at the war. So he, he was at the war um, back then. And he also was a very brilliant student. So he was able to, uh, after the revolution, come to Portugal. He was a Portuguese citizen, but still... Um, it was very challenging for people that were non-white to come to Portugal back then. Um, I'll come back to Portugal, let's say. 
Um, so he came uh, with a student visa. He was a brilliant student. So he did um, electronical engineer at uh, Technical um, Institute. And uh, my mother was also doing a uh, economics degree in Lisbon. And they got together and they started a family. And um, after, um, I would say, four, five, six years, my father passed away from a very um, unknown disease back then. So my mother was um, a young widow with two uh, kids to raise and also with a lot of unknown uh, facing her. So I would say that my old memories, my youngest memories were um, memories that were not just beautiful in the sense of uh, what love is and the promise of love and this sort of willingness to make sure the legacy of my, my, my the love of these two people um, kind of tangible in us, make sure that they would uh, succeed and uh, make sure that everything will go well, but also about the hidden pain and uh, the trauma and all the struggling. So I was someone that actually, you know, kids do feel that. Mm -hmm. So I was someone that actually from an early age has dealt with the absence of someone important but also with the struggle and the resilience of, of, of someone that was a fighter. So my mother was sort of, if you, if you knew that, she was really petite, very sort of French-like, and she was from the north of Portugal. Um, the region is like around Guarda, Trancoso. She was from a very small village, and she was the daughter of... Um, a classical, really poor uh, family back then and that region that actually uh, embraced uh, that travel abroad. So there were immigrants in travel abroad to Paris, France, to look for new opportunities. So they were illegal immigrants back then. They worked at, um, in Paris at the outer skirts somewhere as, you know, cleaning ladies or doing that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. She... Uh, was fortunate that actually by studying there, she had sort of like the whole, the, you know, French system back then, the, the French system education, which she was a very brilliant student. She was a woman that loved to read. So that loved very, uh, always a geeky sort of uh, uh, five-star student. So therefore there they were taking care and she was really nurtured by the system. So when she came back to Portugal um, in the beginning alone, she was, uh, she was coming back to enroll at the um, university level. And um, it was a, a woman with a sort of um, very, I would say, a very strong ideas about what is it that I can do for myself. So that was also something that I've, I've grew with, that idea that 
it is possible if you are committed to it. And it is possible even when everyone is saying no. So I, I reckon one of the things that actually is embedded in me um, uh, along this uh, four decades and three years that I have um, is this idea that I have a lot of no's. I was put in many situations with, you know, there's a lot of no's, but don't quit. It's part of life. Don't quit. Embrace every single opportunity. Create your own opportunities. And if someone says no, oh, well, live with it. Move on and don't quit. Your opportunity will come. And um, that's something that people nowadays call resilience, a buzzword, you know, one of the words about what uh, we are called upon today. And um, Dylan, for me, there's this poem from Emily Dixon that I will not dare to actually sort of read it out loud, but starts with this beautiful line that is something like, you grow accustomed to the dark. Mm. And um, it's all about this idea that there is not such thing as pure darkness. So when you are at the dark, you know, at night, in places where you don't have light, in the beginning, you think that everything is dark. And then if you look, you will see the shades of darkness. You will see the tree and the hill and the landscape. And that is about you acknowledging the darkness and not saying this is pure darkness. Apart from being physically impossible, because if so, you would have to be at, the, at a black hole. Um, the thing is, when you embrace darkness and you start seeing the shades of it, you also can act upon it. Okay, am I at the dark? Can I move on? Where is the light? And um, I find art and poetry as this amazing way of actually having, you know, a before and after you read something like this. And when I came across this poem, it immediately took me to an experience I had at um, years ago at, at uh, San Miguel Island in, at Azores. I was at a summer camp and we were at the, um, you know, the, the, the lake, the Seven Cities Lake, beautiful. There's this yeah, tunnel, yeah. which is normally not accessed. So we were managed to cross that tunnel that goes from the, the, the lake to the other side of the island. And it's really, really sort of ventures. And we were a bunch of kids. I was one of the oldest ones. And there's this point at the, you know, crossing the tunnel where you cannot see the light from the beginning, nor see the wow. light from the exit. And um, at that point, the kids started getting really scared, sort of like anxious. And it was one of the first times I realized what I could be for others, because I am this sort of cold blood, really cool, come on people, have, I have this voice. So I was, let's move on. Obviously we were with other people, you know, grown-ups that I were taking care of, but this idea that you need to move on and you will see the light, even mm -hmm. if you don't see it now, if you touch 
the tunnel. You know where you're standing. So let's move on. You cannot stay here. You will not go back. Let's move on. And um, when you start walking, and you know, after a few meters, you start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, literally the light at the end of the tunnel, you have a direction. So this is what I think it's really precious about the idea of, um, uh, of acknowledging the, the, the place you are, embracing it, so then you can act upon it and understand where you need to go. So going back to, to Emily Dixon, I think one of the beautiful things about uh, art and narrative is this thing, isn't it? You read it and it touches you and takes you somewhere that actually wasn't sort of like your own story and it was apparently pointless. And you have this vivid experience that connects with that poem, with that painting, with that music and uh, with that equation. Because I, I think art is sort of like the creativity is a consequence of being uh, 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 it's something that actually it's part of what defines us and then it can manifest in many ways and then everything that is insightful and it's, that's, that's, that, that sort of meaningful instance as this before and after what I was before what happened when I read that poem saw that, uh, saw that painting heard that music and uh, it touches you deeply and you'll never be the same, which I found very charming. Sorry, mm. this is, here we are going. No, it's okay. I mean, so, you, yeah. you are such a, a beautiful storyteller um, and, and, and great that that's part of your work as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, growing up, we, we connect with these things that you're talking about. We connect with stories. We connect with a, a picture. We connect with... A narrative we connect with a piece of art or maybe a, a line that we've heard it's amazing that you can be sitting in a room and and when you're connected to that piece of writing you will connect with a, a line and somebody else will connect with a completely different line in a completely different way but this is something that we have as as children you know that we we, we connect with stories and with fairy tales and with castles and and we lose it along the, we lose it along the way as adults we lose it we lose it along the way but you haven't <laughs> and why how did you keep that how did you keep that fascination and that curiosity with stories um well here's the thing um i think again it goes back to what to being raised by someone as powerful as resilient as my mother so she was always making sure that she was always protecting that child. She was always making sure that even if the story was very, very dark, we were not absorbed or swallowed by it because it can be very impressive. Also, she was always also very conscious that we were two kids, um, black kids, in a context that didn't have a lot of you know, we were completely out of place in many ways. So she was always very um, taking care of it. But to say, I think that inner child, and 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 again, I'm, I'm, I'm I talk about my mother and father, and I want to talk about the the opportunity and the privilege I have to 
um, to raising, being uh, the educator and the mother of two young girls. So I, I think when you see kids playing, experimenting, trying, telling stories, that glowing eyes of, wow, how wonderful, and that challenge and the darkness of a nightmare, the waking up at night, when you see the first steps of someone creating its own personality, dwelling with the world, the reality, their fears, their expectations, you, if you pay attention to it, you realize that one of the biggest roles you have as a parent is protecting that vulnerability and assuring that they have that space to conquer it by themselves. So, um, and then as a grown-up, life, life brings you so much challenges. You have to kind of like grow up to a world, right? There's always the strict rules. You have to do this, this, and this. And that inner child gets to a point where they're secretly, really secretly there, silently. So I believe you, everyone, I would say, has it has to have because it's it's precious but sometimes it gets sort of like crowded with all the other voices and what I do in in my line of work and what I think it's very precious to strike something that is different from what it was before you know do something for the better be there and try to work out how it could be different you have to bring that playfulness, that, that sense of possibility, that equation, what if, why not? What if you go there, let's challenge, that you see on a playground. You have to do it. You can call it many words, and then you can call it many formats and frameworks, design thinking, or disruption, or frameworks for whatever innovation. At the end of the day, you have to put people, a group of people, because you do not do it by yourself when you're trying to solve complex problems in a situation where their sense of possibilities are, is not um, uh, broken by all the things they know. So that's the biggest challenge you have when you grow up. You do know, you have experience, you've been there, oh, been there, got the, got the picture. Yes, yes, you're telling me so. And then, um, and then I get out of this room and I have all my problems and I have, I open my email. Yes, sure. But let's put that aside and just let's try to envision, first of all, what could be different? How this difference, what can we act and do different? So... Mm. The thing about the inner child that you lose um, or gets lost in the way um, is it's a challenge for all the busyness of the world. Yeah. But I think it's something that you can take care of. And people do it, you know, when they go out for a run and they have that, you know, when you do your yoga, when you dedicate yourself to do something that is all about you. And it's all when you play with your kids, when you go out for, for drinks with your mates and, you know, you have it there and you are having a laugh. And with that, when you have that sort of like, you know, when you see someone you love or a friend of yours and someone and colleague does and it, it smiles at you with that face, that glowing face of possibility or that laughter. I see it. Now I have a clear picture the where does it come from? Because I'm witnessing 
I'm seeing it every single day in the faces yeah. of my kids. So, oh, there you go. That's the that smile, the smile of my, you know, my wife said, oh, you, that's, there you go. And here's the thing about it. You create a bond that is invisible because I work with people that, you know, are leaders, are normally people that are top of their careers. And most of the times they are very serious. You always have to face, you are always at some sort of like a wall, you know. Now people, we have this problem, what are we gonna do about it? And they're all surrounded by serious. And um, they're all surrounded by people that say yes to what they say, that, that agree with everything they do, that just take, you know, tell me what to do and we will do it. So this is a very, very lonely role. Yeah to have sometimes so so you feel very um so i and normally when i when i encounter these people these decision makers i look at them as people you know and i look at them as like what are they challenge me to do why am i here and how can i be impactful and meaningful for this person and this job and all this mm-hmm. sort of like the challenge of this project and i have this loyalty to what they are looking for. And what they are looking for is challenge. Please tell me something I didn't know before. And please tell me in such a way that I don't feel that I've done everything wrong or I'm doing everything right. Tell it in such a way that opens possibilities. So mm-hmm. that's what I sort of like, try, I try to do in the beginning before everything. It's like, yeah. what's your guy? What are you here for? Why is it? And then I bring my, my sort of like this lexical that you sort of, I bring my tools, I'm in the playground. So people, let's do it. Let's try to understand from a business challenge to a vision. Yeah. How can we translate it into what do you want to say to people? Okay, well, I mean, take us through the steps because I'm, I'm fascinated to, I don't want, you know, don't give away too much because uh, it's your work, you know, but uh, I know you've worked with a couple of universities uh, with Nova, you're doing something up there in Guarda as well. Yeah. Um, take us through some of those other steps in creating the narrative and, and what you're trying to achieve with, with, with your work. Okay, so I really like to use this an, uh, analogy of the Exodus, you know, the story from the whole Testament of the Jews. So I'm gonna, I, I like to use it as a framework. So bear with me, because I found that narrative really powerful and really powerful for, for not only for the story itself, but also what the impact it has on the Jewish culture. So the Exodus of the Jews is about, you know, before all is about this guy, Moses, that is on his life, and comes across someone that says, Moses, you have to release the Jews from the Egyptians. No. And um, this sort of epiphany, sort of like the realization of, oh, okay, everything was okay. And then, damn it, I have to do something. It's sort of like the first step. It's a sense of urgency. It's also a sense of, I know that possibly there's nothing we can do in the case of the Jews or something we have to do, but I don't know what. So I'm here in my life. First of all, there is, there has to have, there must be a moment where you realize the sense of urgency you need to move on. So that's the first step of it in in terms of process, understanding the world, understanding what you are, understanding where you place, understanding what's your 
sort of what is it that will happen if you don't do anything? And, and then you, you sort of like, you have to find your Moses. You have to find those like, who will be the prophet, if you say so, or the prophets will be the ones that will take the task of actually saying to a community, a culture, people, we need to move on. So uh, if you find those and you find the prophets and then you kind of like the, the challenge itself, again, going back to stories, like you go back to the Jews and say, they are doing their stuff. They are miserable, if so, but they know it. That's life. And then someone says, hey, listen, people, I think it's time to move on. We can go to Jerusalem. And that's the direction you need to go. We know to do promised land. And that's a vision. You need to have a Jerusalem. You need to have a vision. And the Jews will all agree and absolutely say, yeah, 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 I know that that direction, that vision is there. But how we go from being slaves to actually being at our promised land? I'm not sure, Moses, I go with you. So Moses needs to give proofs. So what we do as sort of like in the beginning is like you, before, you after you realize in the vision, the direction, the promised land, you actually need to start giving proofs for people to come with you because you will not do anything by yourself. So that's the, the what I do is not just about the fact that you you realize that you need to change. It's about the challenge, how you do it systemically and systematically. It's like, I'm not going to go door by door, mimosis, convincing every single Jew, having a two-hour conversation that we need to move on. That is completely inviolable. So we need to have proofs. We need to actually come up with solutions that actually start putting people believing they could do this. And that's when design and narrative tools, visual and verbal videos and, and scripts, brands have this captured the sense. If you do it properly, a brand can capture the promise, the promise land, can capture a place where you need to be. So um, using Nova SBE, Nova School of Business and Economics as an example, the promise land is this idea of a clear horizon. So the inside we develop is the clear horizon, then you see the image of this idea that we are a space in time and a place where from sunrise and sunset, we are open to you. We are an open place for possibilities. So going back to the, the story of the Exodus, what does Moses do? Here we go. Let me prove you why we need to move and why we need to sign. And then you have the plagues and then you have... Uh, the river, and then you have, ah, ta, ta, and you're, oh my God, he's for real. Wow, let's move on. Let's go. I think Moses is a good leader and we'll go with him. So we believe in Moses. We get to the, so we normally, and normally when, when I say normally, you have to have an aha moment, something like, oh my God, I wasn't expecting this. And at, in this story, the aha moment, the aha moment is when Moses gets to this. So they got out of, you know, um, uh, and they get to the river, to the uh, Red Sea. And you go like, uh, Moses, please, these guys are, we have, these guys are not back, we just cannot go back. And we have a river here. How are we going uh, to do this? Um, and Moses does something that no one has ever seen. He opens the sea. 
And people are like, okay, got it. You're powerful. So what are you asking us to do? Oh, we know we're going to cross the sea. What? And then you have it. Now I'm going to use an analogy of the Disney. You have like Mariah Carey and the Miss Can You Believe in Us. Exactly what I was thinking about. Exactly. La, 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 la. well, the, oh my God. Oh my, my God. What are we doing? And boom. They go. They look at Moses. They look at it. Yeah, we did it. We're the best. And what do we do? We start you start celebrating, everything is great. We're going to be celebrating to this pagan god, Kumbaya, my lord, Kumbaya. And then Moses is called upon again. He goes to the Sinai mount. I'm not sure. It's like, and he talks to God, let's say. And God says, listen, I'm going to give you some rules. Because these people don't know is coming but the challenge is not crossing the red sea the challenge is 40 years in the desert where moses you will be at the beginning but you'll not be at the end so we're still in the middle of the road of the journey like the challenge is really really bigger because it's going to be maybe our grandchildren are going to get there the promised land we possibly won't be there, but we need to move on. So you have Moses again and say, here are the rules. So this is part of the methodology. You have to give people rules. So we now have a living proof that we can do this, celebrate, but people, we're not going to do this. We're not going to kill. We're not going to lie. We're going to... They are simple. They are set in stone. And we need to move on. So, and they, and they get there. But this is the point of actually creating sort of narratives that are powerful, enticing, and connected with a vision and a transformation. People have to be willing to start the journey, also knowing that possibly, most possibly, they will not be at the end of the journey. A leader that does that has to have a sense of like, a sense of responsibility. If I don't do this, no one will do it. But possibly, most possibly, I won't be there to actually pick the fruits of this journey. But if I don't do it, what will happen to my people? What will happen to my organization? What will happen to my business? So what I do for a living when it comes to that point is creating sort of the rules of discourse rules, brand ecosystems in such a way that uh, we provide uh, organizations lexical for them to with quality and consistency, deliver their messages to their ecosystem stakeholders. You know, people that possibly they are not even at the caravan, they were not even born yet, but we sort of create the, the, the principles, how you actually going to do it. In your work, you need a lot of empathy. Hello. You need a lot of understanding of people and how people react differently to different stories, their past, the current challenges, the fears and excitement for the future. Uh, you need to have a lot of space, um, Paula, to be able to step back and see a bigger picture. Um, let's talk about Portugal a little bit. I mean, how do you, how being here, how do you feel like you have that? How does Portugal, Portugal and being here in Portugal and nurture that for you? How does it help you be 
able to see those different aspects, to see all these different elements that you just described? Dylan, you pointed out a point that's very important. Yeah, Sometimes you have to step back to actually understand. So for me, I'm going to again, I'm going to take the long road to answer your question. Um, <laughs> um, for me, back when I uh, uh, back when I graduated, um, I had this amazing opportunity of joining this um, this group of uh, architects and designers and planners at my uh, faculty. This was uh, after the youngest country in the world, uh, Timor-Leste, gained its independence and everything was still to be, there's a lot of uh, rebuilding to, to be done. There were a lot of things, there were a lot of <laughs> challenges, a lot of infrastructure that was lacking and there was budget, there was funding and um, there was this possibility and this group of uh, this study group, but also this group of planners, architects and designers got together and, and created a thing called Gertil. And I've joined uh, the, the, the front, uh, the design front with this amazing project that was uh, refurbishing the schools of East Timor through the uh, Diocese of Baucau with um, the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, and um, it was a four-month experience. So my first internship, I spent half of it, pretty much half of it, at East Timor, which is like the other side of the world. And it was the first time I've encountered so many different things. I was about, I was very young, I was uh, 23 back then. So full of certainties, um, but also uncertainties. And I got to the completely opposite country, but also... I, I hold it so close because and so vividly because it was four months, but it seemed like four years and changed me completely in the way what I want to do, where I want to do it, how and why I want to do it. How can I see the real impact? And I ended up doing things like the uh, um, the graph, the, the, the corporate identity of Timor Telecom and uh, also the corporate identity of the East Timor Tourism Office. And I hold dear one experience when I was designing the East Timor Tourism Office back then, and I was sort of drawing some things that at this, um, uh, well, I was at this paper and I was at my desk and someone came across me and suddenly there was a young East Timor uh, girl that looked at my drawings and said something like, oh, wow, Paula. That looks like the lizard tea. And I was like, yeah, that is it. And I, well, I was dwelling with concepts of the, the, the beginnings of East Timor. It's about a crocodile and a kid and about all the concepts of what is it to have a symbol for a destination, like the newest country in the world. And just a drawing, a simple drawing connected with someone that I had no apparent literacy on what is corporate design or whatever. And this is it. If it can speak to her, it can speak to many. So going back to your question, because I'm not, 
When I came back to Portugal, it was the first time I've encountered two things. Oh my God, I had an experience of the opposite of everything that what, I, what it is to live with really no resources and everything is a possibility. One of the youngest countries in the world with a, a young generation, vibrant, full of challenge. And I go back to Portugal and then I started, well, knocking on doors and looking for a studio to work. And I had this whole thing about, you know, I'm not about just, you know, doing logos or doing chairs. I'm a designer. I solve problems. And there was no way I could fit. I got a lot of no's. People would look at me and my portfolio and go like, okay, where do I put you? Are you interior designer? Are you a graphic designer? Are you, what do you want? What, what are you? And I was like, I'm this. And there was no way I could fit the pigeonhole in, in some sort of way. And, and, and at that time, um, my partner at the time and I was sort of like in, really willing to n know more, to travel abroad, to, you know, we got a little taste of it. I got a little taste of it. And it's like, oh, well, actually, I want to see more. And I would say that was also with a bitter resentment because my country didn't present me with many opportunities to actually do what I wanted to do. So, but presented me with one that is completely different from the one my mother had back in the days with my grandparents. I had the possibility of being a legal immigrant, qualified, going to Europe and looking for my possibilities. So this is, let me put it to say, this is something that Portuguese do not hold as really important or dear, but I, I will cherish dearly and I'm profoundly grateful for those in the past that actually work for us to be part of the European Union because it allowed me to go to London instead of the other option back then was going to New York where I could not work um, uh, because I was a significant other of someone that was taking an MBA uh, and those are the possibilities. And we decided to go to London and in London, Sarai done my portfolio, I presented my things, I knock on doors, and after three months I was working at this really cool design studio that was doing, you know, retail, um, uh, retail shops for museums, so, you know, the Transport Museum, the British Museum, the Science Museum, all these exciting things that you used to walk in as a tourist, I was there, and it was really cool, and I was very excited, and I was like, yes, finally did it, great. And after three months, they sort of like, thank you, Paula, and bye. I was like, what? What do you mean bye? What have I done? What have I done? It was, it was sort of like, it was one of the worst moments I remember. It's like, I was like, oh, I'm crap. What have I done? And I got a taste of the pulse of London. It's about, you know, I'm opening doors, I'm trying, I'm testing, I'm trying. Well, you do not fit or thank you very much, moving on. And this idea that is really uh, uncomfortable at first, it actually allows for many to have opportunities. So possibly after my short stay at, uh, at, um, at the studio, really cool, someone came after and occupied my place and had the same sort of experience. Good, because... Possibly, most possibly that happened somewhere else where I have an opportunity also to sort of pitch myself. And also I remember dearly back then, I was very, oh, I'm sorry to um, 
to bother you. May I come, Mr. Doctor, and something, you know, all these sort of things out of the protocol of what you have here in Portugal being an intern. And there they were like, your English is great. I was like, okay, don't apologize about being here because you are, and that is something. You are trying, you are knocking on doors. So London and, and England, and I hold them so dear. I, 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 I'm so grateful for the experience I had because they presented me with opportunities, with possibilities, but they didn't give me sort of like, here you go, honey, here's the cake. You need to fight it. You need to, you need to network. You need, you need to understand. You need to go for it. Just like there's nothing for granted. And um, I, I, that was a, a, a huge learning experience. And now you may ask, why did it you move on? Why did it you left uh, London? Because our, our, with my partner at the time, our plan initially was to be there for two years. And this is London, almost, um, you know, four years and a half had passed, you know, almost five years had passed. And, and this is it. This was sort of like the opportunities are coming. You were saying yes, you were excited. And then you have something that is unquestionable and it's there for every single human being. The clock of life. The clock is ticking. And if you are someone that has um, close relationship with your mother, with your grandparents, and if you want to have kids, and if you need to start, if you want to set roots, you need to, to actually make decisions of where you're going to do it. So um, this might be a bit controversial, controversial because possibly it's, I don't believe that people move on and go to other countries, don't come back just for the sake of they, well, they won and we lost them. Something, a big debate in Portugal because, well, kids, everyone, the new generations are, are leaving. The key point for them to stick in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in other places, in many places you can call home, is if you find love in that country. You know, let me give you an example. So she's Canadian, uh, she's from, you know, she's from uh, Spain and he's from, he's from Greece. Where are you going to, we all, you do both have a really cool, successful job profession in London. Are you going to move on to Greece? Are you going to move on to Spain? Possibly, no, I don't know. You stick to London. So what actually the decisions, even if you have this opportunities or possibilities, it's also about life, where you see yourself. So many of us may come back, others will stay. But the thing is, and this is what I found most enticing about this generation that is different from my mother and my grandparents one, which was good because they saw the world and they are qualified. They are getting the jobs that possibly others couldn't get it. They know they see new things and then they have this possibility of, you know, taking our culture abroad, which is something that if you come across uh, people talking about Portuguese in other equations or other working in other places, I, I reckon everyone has a really good opinion about the way we work and how we work and how we do our things because, you know, you're spreading the good word 
you're promoting Portugal and not Portuguese culture in your way. And those who come back, like I did back then, it was for lack of vitamin D and lack of horizon and roots that I wanted to start building. And I wanted to know where I'm going to, whether those roots are going to grow, where is my tree and my tree is going to grow and close to who. That's when I decided to come back because I really wanted to come back to Portugal, come back to my family and come back with all these things I knew, you know, all these things I've learned, all these things I discover. And I remember back then we decided to, to pick this place, really romantic one, overlooking Baixa and the river, very expensive square meter for what we had at space, but it's this beautiful balcony. And I remember looking at that sunset. And back then, Baisha was completely dark, empty, very scary space. 12 years ago, people have no idea. And uh, looking at it and said, I wish I had the money because this is going to be the next Barcelona. This is sort of like, this, this is it. People have no idea how precious this, this city, this country is full of possibilities. So I think today I have the tools, the mindset that I've learned from London and other places I came across. I saw it in many mentors, many people that have taught me throughout their nose. And yes, and yes, and I have, I'm very grateful about every single one because um, they've, um, They've taught me it is possible to have, to dream big. And then I found some sort of purpose in, the, in my own and in my individual purpose. And how can I apply it in my sort of like collective purpose in Portugal? So I'm, I'm lucky enough to encounter others that actually have experienced similar. So many of the people that sort of like they challenge me or I work with, they have this world. And when I say this world, they are traveled. They are conceptually traveled. They are socially traveled. They are uh, historically traveled. They have literacy that is not just about sort of sitting in sort of the front row and going like, oh, I don't know. It's like full of certainties. It's like they have experience. So if they come back, it's because how oh, they're doing it for reasons is possibly, most possibly, Probably it's not about the money, but are uh, closer to purpose. So they are more unquestionable. So when I came back, I came back, we came back in the beginning of the crisis, you know, subprime crisis, like Portugal is like, this is a disgrace. All our, our, our savings and pounds were sort of like, <laughs> we, and, uh, and we were happy. Um, you're glad that you're back. You're happy to be back. I'm, I'm glad that I'm still here. Let me put it that way. So awesome. it's very exciting. And I can come across as a very excited person, but this is very challenging. And if it wasn't for the fact that you also sent this country opening to others, I'm very excited about every single time I come across an expat or someone that calls me and it's like, I've moved to 
to Lisbon six months ago. I want to talk to you. I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because that's the other way, isn't it? Um, it's like you also attracting talent from other countries of the world, from corners yeah. of the world. I want to live here. And technology allows you to do that. Yeah. And even if it's just, and yes, there is, there, there's a lot of tension and it's unquestionable. And there's a lot of opportunities that for those that are here, they don't understand how is that? How is that? All these Teslas and sorry about the brandings, all this thing, all this prosperity that you kind of like you see passing by, but you're not part of it. That is uh, something that uh, I'm fully aware of. That is a political challenge. And in terms of citizenship and um, my political opinions, I wouldn't go for it for now because I think that would be a completely new chapter about what I think all the things that need to be done in Portugal to still be here. Um, and, uh, but up until now, I've managed to still be here. And by still be here being, there can be, a, uh, the main reason now is that my, my kids are growing here and are growing in a school that I really appreciate, are growing in a place I, I, I I do have a really, I've conquered a very good quality of life, which I praise. And from my humble background, it was all about me. It's one of the things I, I, I normally say to people when they ask me, why did you left London? Or why did you, and apart from everything else, let me put it this way. If I wanted to go out for a drink with a friend in London, first of all, we have to come across because Possibly they was living in the other side. So it was really occasionally. And afterwards you have to get the bus and pay X and Z and then you get into a pub. And by the end of your, you know, this drink will you spend about, around, I don't know, uh, 25 pounds or something or less, but you would have to spend money. <laughs> Here, you let's go for a drink. You get a beer. You go to the riverside, go to a park, go to a bench. Sun is shining, two euros, and you're happy. Paula, um, how, speaking of um, people getting in touch with you, how can people reach out? How can people follow you online? Where is the best place to, to find you? Well, um, <laughs> that's a, well, I'm... I'm, I'm in terms of social networking, I use LinkedIn. It's my the best way people could reach me, but also via Facebook. I, um, but it's the way. Uh, again, lucky enough, people have got in touch like you <laughs> via this 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 uh, this this digital platforms, social platforms, and it's um, enough. Also, they can uh, look at the consequences or the impact. So uh, check out Nova School of Business and Economics. Check out uh, other places I, uh, I've worked in other projects like the Polytechnic de Guarda. This is the recent one. Or, uh, um, or most recently, I also been working and partnering with these guys that I really like. They're called Purple, Purpose for People, which is a consultancy I really focus on bringing purpose for organizations. It's a very um, m- m- most recent project. So uh, I would say that would be, that would be the places. But 
in well, well that that's that's me I was like, yeah. I think I, I I don't do my own personal branding that well uh, <laughs> but I, okay. I <laughs> all right well we'll put some links in the in the show notes for people to to get in touch and to 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 follow you okay um paula uh, a question that we ask all of our guests portugal the simple life why um oh, yeah. i think it has to do with what i've mentioned previously but um you make your life simple um, and you can make your life uh, simple in many places. Um, I believe Portugal allows you to, 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 to get in touch on how simple life can be. And going back to the inner child and the many voices and noise, I, I think it, it, it kind of like it has this conversation with you. It's like, oh, go. How simple can it be? Let's go for a walk. How simple can it be? So is this silence. It's sort of like it speaks to your silent voices of making it simple. So I, I would say that for me, I go out every single day and I, when I take my kids to school, I, I stop, even if I'm late to school itself. And we start looking at the, oh, there's a trail of hands. Oh, look at the trees. Look at the wind. Oh, look at the sea light. Oh, look at this beautiful light. And um, I think it, it, it calls upon the simple life and, uh, and uh, how easy can life be if you pay attention to what's around you. So that's beautiful. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Paula, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Dylan. Um, I'm not sure if this was what you were expecting, um, but it was really nice to talk to you and it was really nice to share a bit of my own experience. And I hope, I wish you all the best because thank you. what you guys are doing is very exciting. For, for, for many, not only for those considering to come here, also those who decided to, uh, to invest here or stay here, but also those living here. It's really interesting, the voices, different voices looking at you. You kind of go, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, that's strange, that's nice. It's, it's new, new perspectives, which is always, always, always very precious in our days. Thank you very much. Very welcome. Uh, Paula, I'm going to let you call it. <laughs> oh, uh, well, how do I call it? <laughs> the, that's a wrap. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and that's a wrap. <laughs>